بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی علیہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ سنائٹ از دا نائنتھ آف اکٹوبر نومبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah And I've reached the point where I've mentioned that his blessed tribe, that those have all come to pledge allegiance to the Prophet So the next section entitled, His Becoming a Member of the August Ahlul Sufa. So as mentioned, with his mother radiyallahu's preventing him from participating in many of the then encounters with the unbelievers this noble son of islam there and then made up his mind to set his blessed heart on acquiring as much of the sacred knowledge as possible sayyidina abu hurairah radiyallahu thus thought this was now an opportune moment to take up place in the blessed masjid of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam with the others of the ahlus sufa i the companions of the lace platform so like i mentioned he wanted to participate in jihad but his mother prevented him so his heart was now set upon acquiring knowledge and he thought what is the best way to acquire as much knowledge as possible and that was basically to stay in the prophet's masjid And there was a raised platform there where the companions with that intention would stay. The Ahlul Sufa lived on a raised platform in the Blessed Masjid with no other occupation but simply to acquire sacred knowledge. Hence these respected people were the first Blessed University of Islam. And as such, these noble companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, were its renowned students. So if anybody asks you, when was the first University of Islam opened? This was it. It was the Ashab al-Suf, i.e. in Masjid al-Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hafiz Zahabi, rahmatullahi in his Seer, volume 2, page 591, he described them. Adiyaf al-Islam, the guests of Islam, people with neither families or wealth. So this is their title. They're called the guests of Islam. Adiyaf al-Islam. And most had no families or wealth. They were just there to study, to learn the deen. So why is this important to highlight that they're called the guests of Islam? Because in a famous hadith in Sayyid Bukhari, un-Muslim, the Prophet wasallam, he said, He who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the last day, and then one of the things he mentioned, He must honor his guests. So if you do not honor your guests, then the question to ask yourself is that do you really believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the last day? That's the meaning of the hadith. So these are just guests, your guests. Then what about the guests of Islam? Adiyaf al-Islam. So how do we honor the guests? They have rights over us. So obviously the first port of call is to become acquainted with them. And Abu Huraira is probably the most famous of these illustrious souls. So how high is the status of the Ashab al-Suf? 
En deze steeds is hij high indeed. In Tirmidhi, nummer 2375, Hassan Sahih, in de chapter on Zuhd, Sayyidina Fudala ibn Ubaid, radiyallahu he said, When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to offer salat amongst the people, some of the men, i.e. of the sufa, would collapse during salat due to the length of their salat and their indigence, i.e. poverty and hunger. These were the Ahlul Sufa. It reached a point where even the Bedouins of the Arabs would say, these are possessed madmen. So stop in the report. So Fadala, he is also from the Ashab of Sufa, he's narrated. So he's saying that because of their poverty and the length of their Salat, they would faint in Salat. They literally faint. So people who didn't know them, i.e. those who come from the outside, the Bedouins, they would say, these are madmen. In other words, why are they fainting? The report continues, one day after Rasulullah offered the Salah, he walked over to them and he said, If only you knew how much you owned in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would then daily wish to increase in your poverty and need. Sayyidina Fudala added radiyallahu anna yawma idhin ma'a rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that day I was with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so let's look at this so this is a sayyid hadith recorded in Tirmidhi so what did the Prophet say to them to the ashab al-suf sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said you don't know <laughs> and it's true didn't they know how high they were if only you knew how much you owned in the presence of Allah you would then wish to increase in your poverty and need. Now think about that. How do you increase in poverty when you're absolutely destitute? <laughs> but that was the cause, one of the great causes for their elevation. So Rasulullah was saying, don't worry. As if to say, don't worry about the people's ignorant statements about you. Because you have a very high maqam with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Fudala said with pride, that day I was with Rasulullah, meaning Alhamdulillah. Our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, those had a great love for the Ahlul Sufa due to their sacrificing everything solely for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never neglected them and they were always on his blessed mind. So for example, out of many, when his sallallahu alayhi wasallam's beloved grandson Sayyidina Hassan radiyallahu was born, he sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked his daughter Sayyida Fatima radiyallahu to give the weight of the baby's hair in silver to the Ahlul Sufa as Sadaqah. <laughs> referred to Behaki in his Sunan 9-304. So think about that. Nobody more noble was born than the grandson of the Prophet. His first, you know, uh, grandson from Fatima. And what did he do? He told Fatima sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he told Fatima radiyallahu shave the baby's hair. This is part of the rituals of the newborn. The Prophet sallallahu said in one hadith, remove the harm. So you should shave whether it's a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter. The, that hair is some harm in it. The scholars don't really know 
science hasn't developed to that degree but they their view some of their views are this hair is grown from the mother <laughs> because the umbilical cord everything's from the mother the hair is not its own so it's weak hair so get rid of it so that the child can grow its own hair meaning the hair will be weak if it's not removed whatever the case it's harm so then the prophet would say the equivalent amount of silver the weight of the hair should be given in sadaqa but who did he tell fatima radiyallahu to give that sadaqa to think about that could it be a more precious sadaqa than the you know of the of the grandson of the prophet he goes give it to the ashabu suf why because he was always in their mind sallallahu alaihi wasallam on another occasion sayyidina ali and sayyida fatima radiyallahu had requested for a servant from the prisoners of war to help them in their household chores to which our beloved messenger responded sallallahu alaihi wasallam by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i cannot give you something and leave the men of Suffa with their bellies caving in with hunger. Since I have nothing to spend on them, I intend selling the slaves and spending the money on the men of Suffa. SubhanAllah. This is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Abu Dawood, Tirmadi, Ahmad in his Musnad, Tarheeb, Volume 3, page 112, Ayyad al-Sahaba, Volume 5, page 97 to 8 of the New English Translation. Nasai ibn Majah Hakim Abdul Razak ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 8, page 25. Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al Musannaf, Ibn Jadir, Humaydi Adani, Kanzul Umal, volume 8, page 66, relates similar. So, in this flawless report, why was Ali and Fatima asking for a servant? Because Fatima, due to the uh, hardships in the three years of boycott, her health suffered. So she never recovered from that and she was struggling even to do the household duties. So she asked Ali to ask the Prophet for the servant. So to quote a long narration short, they both went. And what did the Prophet say? Now think about this. This is his own family. His, his daughter and his son-in-law. And they're definitely in need. The Prophet said, I can't give you something. And leave the men of Sufa with their bellies caving in with hunger. Because how can I give to you, my family, when the Ashab al-Sufa are suffering? I have nothing to spend on them. Therefore, I intend selling the slaves and spending the money on the men of Sufa. So what he was saying was, I can't, I'm gonna, well, my intention is to sell the slaves with the money, help the Ashab al-Sufa. So who was he now preferring over his family? <laughs> Think about that. So what, what did these generations tell you? These are the great Ashab al-Suf whom Rasulullah was highlighting because you must know these people. They're very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, the exalted and glorious subhanahu wa ta'ala also rebuked those who would give to these lofty souls foodstuff which was not of the best stock. So now there's another kettle of fish. So the Sahaba realized they need to help the Ashab al-Suf. But what they would bring, they'd bring, you know, like not top quality food, you know, second grade. So what happened? So Sayyidina Al-Bara ibn Azim, he recited this portion of Surah Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 267, and the translation, do not aim toward the defective, therefore spending from that, 
So what does it say for the verse? Do not aim towards the defective there from spending from that. So Al-Bala ibn Azib, he then explained, Dear Allah, this was revealed about us, the Ansar. We were people that had date palm trees. Those an individual would bring dates from their trees according to the amount of what they were able. A man would bring a bunch or two of dates and would then hang it in the masjid. So stop in the report. So Al-Bala ibn Azib and this is their humility. Notice the verse is actually a, a rebuke. Allah Ta'ala is rebuking the people. He goes, why are you giving defective things? And this is the Ansar. They didn't hide that. Because this was revealed about us. The Ansar meaning we made a mistake. Then he explained. Because we had dead palms. And then some of us would take dates from those trees. And we would leave the bunch or two of dates in the masjid. The Ahlus Sufa had no food. So if one of them became hungry, he would eat from the bunch. He would go to the bunch and hit it with a stick upon which some unripe and ripe dates would fall and he would eat. So this was how they would get some of the rewards. They leave bunches of dates. The Ashab of Suf would go and they would use a staff and some dates would fall. They'd eat whether they're ripe or unripe. However, some people that did not want good would bring the worst type of dates or dates that were dried out and with a broken bunch and they would hang it. So like you'd say in today's day and age, the out of date dates, <laughs> they put that up. Those Allah the Almighty revealed and he recited Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2 verse 267. أَوْذِبُ اللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَنْفِقُوا مِنْ طَيِّبَاتِ مَا كَسَبْتُمْ وَمِمَّا أَخْرَجْنَا لَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ وَلَا تَيَمَّمُوا الْخَبِيثَ مِنْهُ تُنْفِقُونَ وَلَسْتُمْ بِآخِرِينِ إِلَّا أَغْتُ أَنْ تُغْمِدُوا فِيهِ Spend from the good things which you have earned and from the fruits of the earth which we have produced for you and do not aim towards the defective therefrom. Spending from that when you yourselves would not receive it except with closed eyes and know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of all wants, worthy of all praise. Al-Bara then said, Allah, if one of them were to be gifted something like they were giving away, they would thereupon only take it with their eyes closed or with shyness. Those thereafter, we would only take the good things that we had as charity. So where is this recorded? So this is recorded in Tirmidhi, number 2987, Hassan Gharib Sahih, Ibn Imajah, number 1822, Hakim in his Mustadrak, 2-285 Sahih, Zahbi Sahih. Ibn Jarir Ibn Kathir in the respective tafsirs. Shaykh al-Bayn al-Rahmatullah stated Sahih in his Sahih Sunan Ibn Imajin number 1822. So this is a flawless report. So in a nutshell, what was the failing of some of the Ansar? They brought food, it was food, you could eat it, but like they themselves testified, 
if they were offered the same quality, they'd take it with their eyes closed and they'd be shy. So Allah was telling them, why are you doing this? That you yourself would not accept, except with closed eyes, you're giving that away. And look at the verse, it's actually telling you something very interesting. Allah says, spend from the tayyibat which you have earned from the fruits of the earth which we have produced for you. Because the dates are mine. And you are being conduced. So think about that. Allah Ta'ala is telling you something about sadaqah. It's not your money. Allah Ta'ala goes, I've given it to you. And the way you are reacting to that is that you own the wealth. So the mindset is wrong. Allah Ta'ala is saying, if your mindset is correct, you would easily give. The best was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And it's true. You know, go down to our level, you know, sometimes, you know, you get a person and there's sadaqah, calling for sadaqah, and you even say it, forget about you're giving it, well, I can spare this. Don't, why are you saying that? And he goes, what's wrong with that? Why did you say that? He goes, what's wrong with that? And that shows he's not oblivious, right? He goes, Allah Ta'ala rebuked the answer for that. He goes, well, so what should I do then? He goes, try to give more than what you can spare, at least. But even that, you shouldn't stop. So if you think the guy's going to stop giving even what he spares, give it, but don't say it. Mm-hmm. Nothing to be proud of. Mm-hmm. So, why have I mentioned this report here? Who's Allah Ta'ala defending? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the problem. We don't know who the Sahaba are. Right? Allah Ta'ala is coming to their defense saying, what are you giving to them? My guests. Mm-hmm. Because these are my guests and you're giving them scraps. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even leave it to the Prophet. Imagine, he could have inspired his beloved tell them. Allah Ta'ala said, Oh, you who believe, meaning he was believers, he wasn't monafics. What are you doing? In a similar report, Awf ibn Malik said, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam once emerged with a staff in his hand. A man dangled a bunch of shriveled dates. So he struck out on that bunch and said, If this man wished, the owner of this charitable offering could donate better than this. The owner of this charitable offering will eat shriveled dates on the day of resurrection. <laughs> this is in Nasai and Qurtubi in his tafsir. The Prophet was upset. Shriveled dates. Imagine he's given something. He's not as he, you know, think about that. He's actually given something. So what do you think the Prophet would have said if he didn't give anything? <laughs> he actually gave something. The Prophet wasn't happy. He said he's going to eat these mediocre dates on the day of judgment. Meaning, what sort of investment is that? Somebody goes, who do you start with first? Yourself. I'm looking after I am. It's me. The Quran says, save yourselves and your families. Yourself first before your family. And how do you save? Giving third class dates. Is that how you save yourself? And that also indicates people will be eating on the day of judgment. And it's your sadaqah. So if you give mediocre stuff, you're going to eat mediocre. Like one scholar goes, if you want biryani, give quality. <laughs> Imam Qurtubi said in his tafsir, on the basis of this saying, the injunction to give from the best of one's wealth is a strong recommendation rather than a strict commandment. <coughs> so this is important. People aren't turning to scholarship. So when they hear the verse, the hadith, they give their own ruling. So now you'd say, oh brother, you can't give. It's further for you to give the best. Who said that? <laughs> so what is the ruling? So somebody goes, okay, I should give from the best of my produce or my wealth. 
But what exactly is the ruling for that? And Imam Qurtubi said, the scholars have said, it is a strong recommendation. Meaning you are greatly encouraged to do that, but it's not obligatory. If it was, think about it. You know, what's what of sadaqah will be given? So this is the ruling here. Whatever the case, our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in another part of his glorious book, in Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3 verse 92, لَن تَنَالُوا الْبِرَّ حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِمَّا تُحِبُّونَ وَمَا تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ By no means will you attain birr until you spend of what you love. And whatever of the good you spend, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows it well. So what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say? He goes, you will not attain birr. So birr has many meanings. Imam Shayuti said one meaning of birr in this verse means paradise. So if you interpret that, you will not attain paradise. Another meaning is you will not attain a high level of iman. You will not attain the extra special blessings, etc, etc. Until what? Hatta tunfiku Mimma Until you spend of what you love. <laughs> so when you spare, you give your spare. Is that what you love? You have an idol upon this verse. <laughs> you have to give what you love. And then Allah Ta'ala then says, وَمَا تُنْفِكُوا مِنْ شَيْءٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ Whatever good you spend, Allah Ta'ala knows. Meaning you can play games. But Allah Ta'ala says, I know what you're giving. So let's mention one example of this to put it into the bone code as they say to finish. In Sayyid Bukhari number 1461 Sayyid Muslim number 998 Sayyidina Anas he said out of all of the Ansar in Al-Madina Abu Talha had the most dead palm trees and the most beloved of his land was Bayruha a piece of land that faces Masjid al-Nadd. So these are important points. So what did Anas say about his stepfather? He goes, he was the one with the most orchards. That's very significant. And what was the most beloved orchard? It was called Bayruha. Why? Because it faced Masjid al-Nabi. Rasulullah used to enter it, drink from the water therein. Why? Because it's straight next to the masjid. Abu Talha would love the Prophet to come. So he just entered, drink the water. He liked, he loved to go into that orchard. When this verse was revealed, Surah 3 verse 92, Never will you attain birr until you spend from that which you love. Abu Talha stood up and he said, Ya Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed this verse. And the most beloved part of my wealth is Bayruha. Therefore, it is sadaqah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts it and stores it for me in my record of good deeds. Use it anyway. Allah ta'ala decrees. Stop in the report. He's got so many orchards. Which one did he give? 
the scrap. <laughs> he go, you told this is the most beloved. He goes, it's yours, do what you wish. The Prophet said, this is such a good action. This is a profitable wealth. This is a profitable wealth. I have heard what you say, but I see that you should give it to your relatives. Abu Talha radiallahu said, I shall do so, Ya Rasulullah. Thus Abu Talha radiallahu divided it between his relatives and cousins. Amongst them were Hassan and Ubay ibn Iqab. So what did the Prophet say to him? He asked the Prophet, he goes, do with it as you wish, Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet wanted to give him the maximum returns. So first he praised him. He actually used the word ribah. And that is usually interest, negative. But here, he goes, it's the opposite. So if you were to say, what's the exact opposite of ribah? Abu Talha did it. Now look how beautiful that is. Ribah is basically a shaitan who's like a blood-soaking leech. He's not bothered if you, he gets his, I'm not bothered about you. This is the complete opposite. Look how beautiful that is. That's how the Muslim should be. When he said that, the Prophet goes, give it to your cousins. Why? Because you get two rewards. And the report says he gave it, and Hassan and Ubay ibn Ka'ab also deceived. So now, just to add this. In Ahmad in his Musnad, volume 3, page 115, Sahih to the criteria of the two sheikhs with a prestigious short chain. So what's the chain? Imam Ahmad, rahmatullahi, relates from Yahya ibn Sa'id, rahmatullahi, who relates from Humayd al-Tawil, rahmatullahi, who relates from Anas. So between Anas and Imam Ahmad are two tabi'in. So in this flawless report to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim, Anas, radiyallahu said, when the verses were revealed, Surah 3 verse 92, which I've recited, and another verse, Surah 2 verse 245, what does it say there? Who is it that would loan to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a goodly loan? So he may multiply it for him many times over. It is Allah who withholds and grants abundance, and to him you will be returned. So these two verses was revealed. And it said, Abu Talha said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to give my orchard that is in such and such a place. If I could have given it secretly, I would not have now announced it. The Prophet said, distribute it amongst your poor relatives. So this adds some crucial details. Another verse was revealed. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? That what you give is actually a loan. <laughs> Look how we're supposed to be thinking. Allah ta'ala says, Who will give to me a generous loan? <laughs> a beautiful loan. So think, a person goes, How? He owns everything. It means Allah ta'ala is saying, You're doing business with me when you do sadaqah. <laughs> and then he says, I will give it to you many times over. Back. Mm. The Jews, mischievous Jews, they completely missed this verse. And they said, oh, God's poor. He wants a loan. He goes, you're God's poor. So think about that. He goes, why does he want a loan? So look at how sick that is. They don't see the meaning of the verse. But anyway, Allah Ta'ala revealed these verses. Abu Talha then said, I give it. But then he goes, I will do it secretly. But I can't. It's facing the masjid. He goes, and then the Prophet goes, give it to the poor. So now, 
there's some very interesting things that you need to know here. The virtue of Abu Talha. How do these hadith, Sahih, Bukhari and Muslim, show the virtue of Abu Talha? Firstly, the holy verse speaks about being charitable with beloved possessions. But he ascended to the level of giving his most beloved possession. Allah Ta'ala didn't ask for that. Just give what you love. So what did he do? He didn't say, well, this is quite precious. This has got sentimental value. This, that, flana tinkler. He went straight to gold medal. I'll give this. So that shows his virtue. Secondly, and again, you know, you can't help but compare. You know, what sort of sadaqah are we giving? Even when there's like, you know, emergencies that take place, like in Palestine now. Think about it. That's faradna, if you think about it, to help. What are you giving, brother? Don't say it. Well, I can spare. MashaAllah, right? Secondly, he earnestly wanted to give it secretly rather than publicly. Why? Two reasons. First, the Quran. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 271, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In tubdu sadaqati fa'na'immahi if you disclose charity, it is beneficial. وَإِن تُخْفُوهَا وَتُؤْتُوهَا الْفَقَرَاءَ فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ But if you conceal it and make it reach those who, who are in need, that would be better for you. وَيُقَفِّلُ أَنْكُمْ مِنْ سَيِّعَاتِكُمْ It would remove some of your evil. وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرٌ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well acquainted with whatever you do. Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 271. So what does Allah the Almighty explicitly say? You can give sadaqah openly. And he says, فَنِعِمَّهِ It is beneficial. If you do it correctly. So if you give openly, it goes good. But then he says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَإِن تُخْفُوهَا If you conceal, وَتُؤْتُوهَا الْفُقَرَاءَ And make it reach the poor. That is better for you. It's better than open charity. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It will remove from you some of your evil. One of the virtues of secret sadaqah. And Allah ta'ala is well acquainted with what you do. So there's one virtue. Our beloved messenger also echoed, Secret sadaqah extinguishes the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secret sadaqah extinguishes the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak, number 6491, Sahih, Tabarani in his Usad, number 956, that means there's nothing left. So imagine Allah Ta'ala is furious with you. How do you completely take away his wrath? Extinguish doesn't mean you've left something burning. Secret sadaqah. What did Abu Talha say to the Prophet I wouldn't it secretly, Ya Rasulullah. But I can't. He was pleasing the Prophet as if to say, we're learning, Ya Rasulullah. You've revealed your teachings. What's there are we? We don't even know where the verses are. Imagine it. Astaghfirullah. And there's other lessons which we'll mention tomorrow. So all I mentioned today was now where the great Abu Huraira radiallahu 
he is now enlisted amongst the Ashab al-Sufa. And I'm highlighting why they are so dear to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger. You know, people say, what's so special about these souls? And there you go, study Bible, brother, you'll find out. It's in the Quran and Sunnah. Right? And the fact that you're saying that shows you don't know who these people are. And, and look how they describe the guests of Islam. You don't know who the guests of Islam are. Mm-hmm. Don't you know who your guests are that come to your house? <laughs> Imagine your guest comes in, who are you then? Be uncle, you daft idiot. Would you be praised for that? <laughs> right? So, you, you know, you honor your guests. And here is power of honoring when we're discussing the verses that are relevant to the Ashab al-Suf. So we have a connection, mashallah. Mm-hmm. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?